The revolution will not be televised, but it is being digitized right here on Digital Village. Hi, this is Rick Allen. And I'm Leilani Albano. On Digital Village, we're bringing you stories about the Internet and technology and how they're shaping culture, along with every other aspect of our lives. The digital revolution is indeed awe-inspiring, but can also be used for nefarious purposes. We're here to help prevent some of those abuses. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org. And digitalvillage.org. So, on with the show. Hi, Rick Allen here. Three California rideshare drivers filed a class action suit in the state superior court. The lawsuit alleges that Uber and Lyft engage in unlawful price fixing that is harmful to drivers and customers and results in drivers earning less and less. The class action adds that Uber and Lyft abuse their power by using schemes that are designed to control when and how drivers work. The lawsuit also states that the companies conceal crucial information, including customer destinations, in order to deceive drivers into accepting ride requests they would otherwise refuse. The lawsuit comes almost two years after passage of Proposition 22, which classifies rideshare drivers in California as independent workers rather than employees. With us to talk about the issue is Rideshare Drivers United President Nicole Moore. She spoke with Digital Villages' Leilani Elbano. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Tell us about the lawsuit filed by three rideshare drivers in California. How is it the first of its kind? Well, it's an antitrust lawsuit filed by drivers against the app companies that they work for. Basically, as drivers, we've been trying to figure out how to get more rights, to have more control over our pay. And where the companies have gone is the companies have said, you're independent contractors, you have total control. We say, well, actually, you control us so much that we actually don't feel like independent contractors at all. I've never been able to set my pay. I've never been able to say, well, since we're going through this traffic and over this mountain, I'm going to need to charge you 20 extra dollars. Oh, and because gas prices are so high right now, I'm going to add a little bit of money to this um, fare. None of that has ever happened. When and where we drive is very much controlled by the companies because we lose money if, if we're not driving for bonuses or, or some kind of surge. So yeah, we don't feel actually like we are independent. We don't feel actually <laughs> that we shouldn't have the same rights as anybody that works for a company as an employee, right? Mm-hmm. We should have these things. Well, the company is saying no. But it seems like this is something that has been ongoing. I mean, really, what has been the impetus for this lawsuit? Isn't this sort of thing what Uber and Lyft has been doing all along? Well, yeah, they've misclassified us. But now it's legal misclassification, right? Because Prop 22 basically says you're an independent contractor. Here's your wage floor, which is below the basement. And here are these benefits that you really don't have access to. But now you are an independent contractor and flexibility is the name of the game. But what they don't tell you, the flexibility is their flexibility. When Prop 22 passed, we started having our rights taken away, not like (laughs) augmented in this wonderful 
proposition. You could set within the app in Uber whether you were one time the base rate or whether you would only accept rates twice the base rate. You could kind of set it that way. That was taken away. The majority of the time, we don't see where the rights are going. So, you know, our rights were eroding while they started doing things like setting the mileage rate from airports at 32 cents a mile. Those of you who drive for work know that the IRS reimbursement rate for miles, it was 56 cents at the beginning of the year. I think it's 58 cents now. You're losing money on a 32 cent ride. Now, what is the current job status of rideshare drivers in California as compared to other parts of the country? And how did that change? If you can just recap real quick. So in California, under Prop 22, we are legally classified as independent contractors without any control of our jobs. In the rest of the country, most labor laws see us as employees when it's taken to court by drivers. Hey, we're employees. We're do things like unemployment, about minim, you know, minimum wage, those kinds of things. Most courts will tell us, oh, wow, we didn't know. You have so little control over your work and the company set all your wages. You actually are employees. But let me be clear, the company is not following the law in any parts of the country or really around the world. And it's a struggle. Their big business plan is to not follow a single labor right around the world and instead to rewrite labor law. You know, what happened here in California with Prop 22 was step two of that process, which was rewriting law. They never Mm. followed the labor law. And in fact, 5,000 of us before Prop 22 filed, you know, wage claims with the California Labor Commission saying, hey, here's what happens in our job. Here's how much money I made. Here's what, you know, hourly minimum wage is. After you take my expenses out, I need a lot less. We are not making basic money or benefits under labor law, and we should. So are we talking about all Uber Lyft drivers or uh, that are being affected by this price fixing or only those that pick up passengers? So the particular antitrust suit that the three drivers filed on behalf of all drivers as a class, and it is passenger drivers. Was that strategic? Is that even profitable or doable uh, You know, when you're talking about like Uber Eats? Uber Eats and other food delivery drivers were in exactly the same boat where the companies control the prices that call us independent contractors. The industry is set up just a little bit different in terms of how we're paid and that kind of thing, but there's different aspects of the industry. But this is absolutely the sort of thing that that delivery drivers who are driving for apps also could do. How does pricing work with Uber and Lyft? What determines exactly how passengers are charged? Well, that's the funny thing. How passengers are charged is a completely different piece than how drivers are paid, right? When I started driving in 2017, I was guaranteed 80% of the fare. 
that is actually a pretty good check-in balance because when a passenger is charged, you know that 80% of that is going to come to you. It's become more and more of a black box algorithm, you know, and then there's surges on top of it and that sort of thing. We don't really know exactly how they're charged, but at least the drivers are getting 80% of it. Within three or four months of me starting driving, that fare that the passenger pays had no relationship to what I was being paid. And that has gone even more awry over the course of the years where passengers' payments have no relationship to what drivers are paid. And we've seen just huge overcharging of passengers for, from small to large trips. Passengers always assume that we're getting a pretty big cut. But at this point, we're getting very often less than 50% of those fares. And we've seen it as small as 20% of those fares. So there is really no relationship. But the, the things that the companies employ is a very complex algorithmic kind of AI world where they take the passenger's data, the kinds of prices they've paid in the past, whatever other data sharing they do with um, your consumer habits and that kind of thing, and they guess your price point. And so you could sit, be sitting with your very thrifty mother-in-law at a corner going to the very same location on the same app at the same time, and your thrifty mother-in-law will be priced at a much lower price than you, who maybe is sort of a luxury person. The other thing your mother-in-law does is if the price is too high, she'll shift from the Uber app to the Lyft app. Well, then she'll get a much lower price because they don't want you to shift companies, right? So they'll charge you two different prices for the very same ride. And it's based on these complex kind of AI algorithms that figure out um, what your price point is. So even though you have these complex algorithms, at the end of the day, workers are feeling that they are being underpaid for the rides that they're, they're giving. Yeah, way underpaid. You're often just borrowing from the equity of your car. Um, there was a study done of San Francisco drivers by UC Santa Cruz that showed that 20% of the rides that drivers took in San Francisco were for free after expenses. This is not volunteer work. This is something that I just read. And you know, let me know if you understand the terminology of he had to deadhead. Do you want to know what deadhead is? Yeah. In, in the driving world, it's where you don't have a passenger in the car and you have to go back to a location. So, for instance, if you take somebody to the middle of the agricultural valley from L.A., you deadhead back. You don't have a passenger in the car. You don't earn anything. That's part of the issue, right? People don't often know their destinations and then they realize that they have to deadhead it back and it's just really expensive. Yes, it is. Right now, gas prices are so high that you really have to know where you're going. And then some of us driving electric cars, you have a limited range anyway. And so you have to know if you're going two miles or 50 miles. So if you end up 50 miles in the middle of the desert, you have to drive those 50 miles back. So if you use three gallons or two gallons of gas, that's 15 to $20 into your your meager <laughs> earnings at the end of the day. So at the same time that people are feeling this crunch 
in their wages. What are the prices now? Because I hear from other people that they no longer feel that taking a ride on Uber and Lyft even makes sense because it's so expensive. Yeah, and that's exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing that the prices are way too much. You know, rides are three to four times sometimes what they used to be. And what's happening on the driver's side is we're getting the same or even less pay than we used to for the same rides. So that's what I'm saying about there's no relationship between how much the, the passenger is paying and how much the driver is getting. And it's not right. And as we all know, the price of gas is really exacerbating the problem. Oh, absolutely. And everybody I know who's a true independent contractor is raising their prices. You know, my plumber raised his prices for the cost of gas because he has to go around with it. We did not. The companies gave us 55 cents. And within six miles of driving, we've used up the 55 cents. So that was your, your kind of gas payment and you had to just live with that? <laughs> Yeah. And they're, the thing about it, too, is they're charging the, the customers directly for the 55 cents and then giving it to us for each ride. Well, on a 30 mile ride, it's not helping us at all. And the passengers are continuing to pay what we see as exorbitant prices. Right. So this is a good segue to the antitrust suit, because. We believe that as drivers, we could probably charge a fairer, a more fair fare and have more control over what we're actually earning if we had the control that independent contracting actually has. It's just not the model. At this point, we have to get out from under these laws like Prop 22 that basically permanently misclassify us as independent contractors without giving us any rights. It's, they set the prices, they control when and where we drive, and then you can't say in return we're an independent contractor. That is where the price setting comes in. And that's another good segue here. Ideally, how would you like the prices to be set? What kind of model would you like to use in terms of setting your own price? That's a hard question to say. I don't think that the companies are committed to, to a model where drivers actually have independence. It's a complex model of algorithms and AI, right? Under their business model, I think the situation that works the best is the situation in New York City where drivers have fought together and won, they have very good regulation from the Taxi and Limousine Commission in New York City. And first of all, they have basically a minimum wage that is based on also your expenses. So their minimum wage includes wait time, which has a very high value to the company and customers. You're at Dodger Stadium and you're uh, waiting for a ride and there's somebody right there who's been waiting for half an hour. That half hour should be paid. Right now, the payments are only based on when you're accepting and then dropping off a passenger. So in New York City, um, they have an algorithm that helps them figure out um, what your wait time is for when you pick up a passenger. You're paid for both the wait time and the time that the person is in the car. 
um, to create a floor for how is what's the least amount of money you can you can um, earn. That floor is twenty seven dollars um, an hour right now, um, and the idea is that you will get to New York minimum wage after your expenses, which is around seventeen dollars an hour. In addition, if there's bonuses or surges or whatever, that's on top of that. And your tips are on top of that. So mm -hmm. drivers in New York City are actually able to, to make it. And right now they're in a campaign, meaning protests and demonstrations to raise the minimum wage where the net is $17 an hour to where the net floor is $25 an hour and mm -hmm. they're going about it and they're winning. It's a great process. They're getting paid for, for their wait time. There is a floor that is out of the basement and into a place where you could actually feed yourself and maybe pay rent. And then you have the opportunity to say, hey, we actually need more money now and we're, we're asking for a raise. Just to play devil's advocate, that just seems so basic. What about these complex algorithms and AI, and we're in the app world, and we need these things to adequately operate this complex technological system that we have. You're talking about just basic <laughs> wages. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. And I like how you put it because there's all kinds of fluffs and all that. But in the end, you have a boss and your boss is an algorithm. And in the end, you should be earning a decent wage for every hour you worked and and more if you're in the surge bonus slash great tip zone. That's it. All right. So it seems like there's steps in the way that we can approach this whole issue with price fix. How much of it is tied to reversing the status of workers before we can even make any real progress on the issue of price fixing? The bottom line here is that Prop 22 is a bad law and it's probably illegal. It's already been overturned by a lower court. And Prop 22 clones are popping up around the country. In Massachusetts, they tried to put Prop 22 type bill on the ballot and their attorney general looked deeply into it and said, you know what, this is an illegal law. This undermines basic labor qualities that we have in Massachusetts now, right? They're trying to move this model around the world, honestly. So we have to get out from under these bad laws. But the answer to Prop 22 being illegal under the, the California Constitution, um, just to be clear, right, it was at a lower court decided Prop 22 was against our Constitution in California. It's in an appeal process now. And it may even go to the California Supreme Court. And during the appeal process, it's still in force, right? So we're still under Prop 22. So we have to get out from under it. But the answer to getting out from under Prop 22 is not Prop 22 light. Because the basic beliefs and basis for uh, you know, labor rights in our country is that you put in an hour of work, you're going to get at least a certain amount of money, and you're going to have access to things like unemployment, you know, uh, workers' comp if you're injured on the job. You're going to be covered under uh, California OSHA to protect the safety 
in your um, workplace, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you could think of all the things that you get as an employee. And and um, what Lyft and Uber are trying to do is to break that relationship. And the lie is that we don't have control over our work. And if we go to a Prop 22 or a Prop 22 light model, this can invade any of the jobs. We've already seen a group who has moved forward this idea that healthcare workers can be app-based and therefore have no labor rights, right? Imagine this, this model invading whatever industry that you're in as a worker, right? And that because your scheduling is now done by app and you can accept a job or not, all of a sudden you have no labor rights, no protections, no unemployment when there's a pandemic and all of a sudden your job shuts down. Like there is no protection. And that is not the world that I want to raise my kid to grow up in. So really this is kind of the bellwether. It's a tech invention that these new ways of dealing with labor are going to help America, and they're only helping the tech companies. They're not even helping the investors yet, you know? The drivers and passengers are being scammed. It's only the house that's winning. So what is the hope here? I mean, New York did it. Can California do it? What do we need to face in order for this to happen? Well, it's our hope that Prop 22 can get out, can be overturned in the court system. The next piece is making sure that we get the kind of excellent regulation that they have in in New York City. The one advantage that New York has over the rest of the country is the New York uh, Taxi and Limousine Commission demanded to have the data from these companies so that they could actually monitor what was going on. The state of California doesn't even know how many drivers there are, let alone how many miles people are driving and anything about it. We have to regulate. We have to have the data as a state. There's no more important time to try to think about transportation in a a holistic way where, you know, have a world that is burning up in large part because of carbon emissions from cars. And we have to think about transportation and it it should be a right of Californians that the state has that data and is, is looking at it to plan transportation in a good way, including that people's jobs who are delivering things and people Mm -hmm. are getting paid what they need to be paid. Thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you so much, Leilani. That was Nicole Moore, Rideshare Drivers United President. She spoke with Digital Village's Leilani Elbano. That's it for this episode of Digital Village. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org. And digitalvillage.org. Thanks for listening to Digital Village. I'm Rick Allen. And I'm Leilani Albano. And we'll see, see you online. online.